You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So I'm Gaynor. Hello, I'm married to Paul there, mum to Rhiannon and three others. Um, I've been in the church for quite a while and it's lovely to be with you this morning, having an opportunity to talk about the Bible. I'm going to start with a little story. I work in a school, so that means I have half-term holidays. And I start my half-term holidays with a secret list of DIY jobs that I would like to get done. It is top secret. And at the start of this half-term, I just started to drip-feed you know, casually, these ideas, things that, should we do that now? What do you think? Top of my list was a rather large mirror that I'd found in a bargain basement that I wanted up on my bedroom wall. And it had been lying on my dressing table, taking up a lot of space, gathering dust for about five weeks. So I just said to my husband, oh, any chance we could get the mirror up now? So he says, okay, where do you want it? I said, just on the wall. That'd be great. Just bung it up. You know, we had a few hooks up there. Just, just get the mirror up. So he does it. Ten minutes later, mirror's up. So um, I say to my daughter, Bronwyn, Bronwyn, come and see. Come and see my new mirror. So, so we stand there with my dressing table, and we're just looking. And she says to me, Mum, can you see yourself in the mirror? And I say, no, but it looks lovely there, high on the wall. So we need to get the toolkit out. We need the drills, we need the screws, we need to do a little bit more work to get the mirror where I could see that. Now that's no fault of my husband, it's just me wanting a quick job, getting it up there, not being, just do it, just do the job. We've been talking about how we read the Bible, how we understand the Bible. And today, we're thinking about a biblical toolkit. A toolkit for understanding the Bible. I'm going to read something to you from Rob Bell, who I find quite an interesting uh, person. I like reading what he says. I like thinking about some of the thoughts that have crossed his mind. And he said this... um, he, um, after he first was asked to speak, he suddenly kind of got hooked on the Bible. He was very young, in his very, very early 20s, and he's asked to do his, his first talk. And he said, from this time on, I oriented my life around studying, reading, teaching, and trying to understand the Bible. I continue to find the Bible the most mysterious book. The more insight I gain, the more I realize how much I don't know. It inspires and encourages, and it also frustrates and provokes. The Bible is a difficult book. And I kind of agree with that. And when we're looking at the Bible, we're looking at uh, very, very, very ancient texts 
written in very, very ancient, old societies and cultures. And so we need some help, just like Stephen Clare possibly had a plumbing tool to help them unblock the drain, we need some tools to help us understand and interpret the Bible. So our task is to develop our knowledge and understanding of God and who he is and how he operates in this cosmos. We need some tools for this. So I brought along some of my tools. The most important tools to me I like the really easy tools because other people have done the work. So I like reading Steve Chalk. I like reading Rob Bell. I like reading Krish Kandaya. I like reading a whole load of other people who just give me some different perspectives. And I find they've done all the hard work. They've done all the study. And that's really nice and easy for me. So other people's perspectives is good. I have a darling concordance. It's from 1960s. It's probably hardly any use at all, but I treasure my concordance. I really love it. So concordances are good. I've also got some commentaries. This is the New Bible Commentary. And this is a survey of the Old Testament. Put it bit more gently. I think one of them has come from Julia when she was trying to get rid of some of Rob's books. And Paul said to me this morning, just as he was leaving, he said, look, if our energy bills goes right up, we can burn those con uh, concordances and the, all the, the commentaries. So, but they're still of use a little bit. So those are some of the tools that I use. But I have to say that I am really approaching this talk this morning on a really basic level, okay? Me reading the Bible is not to try and understand some great th theological truth. Me reading the Bible is about getting through the week. It's about saying to God, what are you saying to me, God? What do you think about this? What's going on in this situation? What do you want me to be doing this week? Next week? Next year? It's all about my relationship with God and I read the Bible to hear God speak to me about my relationship with him and how I am to follow Jesus. And if we are serious about following God, we need to learn how to interpret the Bible. But within all of that, you can have as many tools as you like. So I could have stood there with my mirror, with a screwdriver, with a drill, with a wrench, with a saw, with a whole array of tools. I would not have been able to put the mirror up because I would have had to rely on my husband to do it. Because I can't operate most of those tools. And so I need the Holy Spirit to help me use these tools. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do some work with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a look at three different texts together, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us use some tools, okay? I'm just going to just make sure that God knows that's what we're about, so we're just going to pray. Dear God, I pray that you will just really help us to unlock your word this morning, and I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit again afresh to open our eyes in new ways to see you and to understand more about what it is to be your follower. Amen. So we're going to look at um, 
three texts, Genesis, Psalms, Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at something from Abraham, David, and a story Jesus told. So we're going to look at a historical incident, a poem, and a story that Jesus told. We're going to do it a little bit interactive, so we're going to talk to each other. And um, don't worry, I went to a quiz, a PTA quiz on Friday night, and I was like part of a team, and I was like so nervous before I went. I thought, I'm not going to be able to answer a single question, which was absolutely right. But it just made me feel really anxious. Now, Rob did his lovely breathing in priest, breathing out anxiety prayer, you know, about keeping that anxiety in the control. So don't feel anxious today about having a look and trying to answer some questions and using some Bible tools. We're all friends here. And luckily, there are no right or wrong answers with the Holy Spirit, just gently guiding us towards truth. When we do our little mini activities, I want you to just kind of keep an eye on like what a tool might be used for. Kitchen tool, garden tool, DIY tool, plumbing tool. Sometimes tools are used to fix something that's broken. So there might be something that's a bit, bit wrong in our theology that needs to be fixed. Sometimes a tool is new to make something new, completely new. A cake. Something new from scratch. Sometimes tools are used just to completely tear something down. When we had our extension being built, we had walls that just needed to come down. They were so in the wrong place. So sometimes tools, biblical tools, are used to destroy things that we have in our understanding that are completely wrong. And sometimes, like the mirror being in the right place, we just need a biblical tool to see ourselves properly and to get a real perspective on life. So the first um, one we're going to look at is a story Jesus told, and it's from Luke 12. I'm just going to read it really quickly to you, and then you're going to do some work. Here we go. Some of you will be familiar with it. Some of you won't know it at all. Jesus said this to his close disciples. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. He will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. So that's the verse that I want you to focus on. Jesus often said, those who have ears, let them hear what I'm saying. So I'm wondering what Jesus wanted his close disciples to hear then and what he wants us to hear now. This is about a table, somebody reclining at a table, somebody serving. So we need to know a little bit about mealtimes in first century Palestine, mealtimes in a Jewish culture. So to help me do this, I've gone to Steve Chalk and I've got some information and I'm going to give you that information. So what am I going to give you? We've got 20 sheets. There's probably about two for each row here and then we'll need some for some at the back here. So we're going to work in groups. 
And what I'd like you to do is to think about that last verse that I read, Luke 12, verse 38. He will have them recline at the table and he will serve them. What would that mean? So you've got a little bit of context about Jewish life there and think, how might this help me interpret this verse? A few minutes to think about it and talk about it. So we know that mealtimes are of huge importance in that context. They were where things happened. We know that the social hierarchy was really important, who you sat with, who you ate with. And Jesus used gathering around a table to say something. And in contrast to the rabbis, which used the Torah, which interpreted the Torah to put dividing lines and boundaries in place, Jesus used mealtimes to show he's welcoming and inclusive. So I'm just going to tell you what I got out of that. And this is just me. It doesn't mean that this is right and you're wrong. It just means this is me at that time when I was reading this, which was in August. See, I think this is about Jesus crossing lines and breaking down barriers, but it's much more than this. This is a total role reversal, isn't it? You have the servant waiting, looking out, ready to go. The master comes in. Servant should be there because weddings were long events, sometimes weeks long. So the master's going to be really tired. And instead of the servant serving the master, the master says, I'm glad you're ready for service, but actually before you do anything, sit down. Sit down with me. Let me serve you. And when I read this, it just reminded me that God says to me, as I am his, Jesus' follower, Gainer, be ready to serve, yeah. But first, let me serve you. Before you do anything for me, just come and be and enjoy the rest and the nourishment that I provide. But even then, I don't think we completely get what an absolute crazy thing Jesus was saying here, that he would become the servant of the one who was supposed to be doing all the work. And I'm just hearing something here about Jesus giving himself unreservedly to us, without cost, giving himself away. And saying, this is what it's like in the kingdom. As you follow me, I am giving myself to you again and again and again. This is what it means to be my follower. I'm here giving myself to you. And for me, that's a tool that's used to fix something that's got a bit broken in my relationship with Jesus. And as I see this table where Jesus meets with a follower, where Jesus meets with a person who's supposed to be the servant, I see something unexpected in the person of Jesus. It's a mealtime, a table. And I discover something unexpected in the person of Jesus. Okay, we're going to look at another text now. Because I got a bit curious when I read this in August. And I started thinking, well, where was the first meal that God had with people? Where was the first time that there was a mealtime, a table mentioned? Was it uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Couldn't find anything there. Was it Noah? Couldn't find anything there. And I thought, well, it's Abram. 
the first table is in Genesis, Genesis 18. Happy to be put wrong, put right if I've got that wrong, but I think this is the first time God meets. So I'm going to read you a, a historical incident now. This is from Genesis 18, verses 1 to 10, and I'm reading the NIV. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not let your servant pass by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then, then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of fine flour and knead it. Bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then bought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Strange. What are we going to take from that then? How might that help us as followers of Jesus? I'll give you some background information. Uh, God has called Abraham and said to him, I want you to leave home and all that's familiar. I'll make you into a great nation and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham leaves his home and he's been traveling now for about 25 years, kind of waiting for stuff to kick off. Problem is his wife can't get pregnant, so they can't start the great nation. Every now and then, God kind of turns up and appears in kind of a vision, a dream kind of thing, and reminds him of this promise, I am going to make you into a great nation. And about 14 years ago, he tried to fix it by having a son with his wife's servant. He's living in Mamre. I use my concordance for this. He was actually a person who gave Abraham this bit of land. He's been living there for quite a while. And when we think Abraham's tent, don't just think a tent. Think about a music festival. Think about tense on mass. Think about noise. Think about animals. Abraham is very wealthy. He's got an army. He's got flocks of animal servants. This is a big community, a big camp. Okay, so into this camp comes these three people. Abraham serves them a meal. There's a table. For some reason, in all this story, it's like these visitors, it's like God turning up. Okay, so this time, the tool that we're going to use is an online resource because uh, a lot of these books are very old and there's a whole load of stuff. Of course, it's online now and you can use Bible Gateway, not just to find passages, but there's a whole load of encyclopedias and dictionaries there and another website that I often uses called Bible Study Tools. And you can get information um, very easy that's probably quite reliable on some of this background information. So... My second one is giving you some information on the culture then. 
When you lived at this time and somebody turned up at your camp, what were you supposed to do? What was the norm, the etiquette that you were supposed to do to look after strangers? Now, there's a lot of reading here. I'm not expecting you to look at all of it. But I'm just going to ask you just to skim through it and then focus on number six. Okay? Number six. So I've just got time just to whet your appetites here for just going a little bit further when you read the Bible. This is all this is, is just putting it out there, just thinking, what do you think? Is this giving you anything else new? Um, So again, what you've said isn't right, isn't wrong. And this is just me when I read this. This is what I got out of it when I looked at this online um, material. Um, So, you know, in those days, you didn't travel unless you really, really had to. And there was no Airbnb. You know, you had to find somewhere safe. So these travellers were totally reliant on the hospitality of the camps that they met. And what I loved about point six is this idea that one person is providing the food and the other person reciprocates with something news about what's going on. Oh, the famine's nearly finished down south. Oh, watch out, there's war in such and such a place. The villages are fighting. Or, thank you so much. May you be blessed for a thousand years. You know, there was an exchange that was happening. So Abraham went into this expecting something from it. Offering hospitality is not a one-way thing. A table is a place where things are going to be exchanged. So in following the social norms, Abraham's expecting some news or some thanks or a general blessing. But in this exchange, he gets something more. He gets a very solid, specific promise. Next year, the baby will be here. Wow. Unexpected. So for me, looking at this was a tool that put something new into my understanding of God. It put, made me think the table, the place of meeting, is a place of exchange and a place where God renews his promise or makes promises. And this was a very unexpected promise. So from this, I kind of my understanding of the table, it made me think that actually the table is a place of unexpected promise. First of all, in the story of Jesus, we learn something unexpected about the person of Jesus. And now, this is something unexpected. An unexpected promise comes as a result of the table. We're going to do one more. And I know that the, the, the kids are going to be coming up soon, and they're going to join us as we meet around the table. So for this one, it's Psalm 23. It's one you know very, very well. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this at the front for anybody who's keen afterwards. If you want more information about Psalm 23, because you know it inside out, or do you? Come and get it from the front. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you, and this is just like hot off the press, because I did not know this at all. Okay. This is something that I have learned in the past couple of weeks. 
And this is what I got from my commentaries. Now, my commentaries are old, and commentaries sometimes, oh my goodness, they make me want to throw up. You have this dissection of verses. And I'm thinking, I really disagree with what you've said here. But some of these commentaries have got some really useful sections, which is like an overview of the book. And I love those because I love history and I love kind of finding out who wrote it, when was it written, what was happening. And to fully appreciate Psalm 23, we need to know when it was written, who wrote it, and why this psalm is the 23rd psalm and not the first psalm or the 150th psalm. So we need some more general information about the psalms. And the sheet of paper is giving you a bit more general information about the Psalms. And what I got from my little study using my commentaries and finding out a bit more about the Psalms was it's divided into five books, you may already know that. And book 1 to 41 generally are thought to be written by David and they are generally thought to be a commentary on his time of conflict with Saul before he became king. So if you think Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, blah, 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 you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This isn't a fight of king versus king. This is a fight of an established king and somebody who thinks he's been called to be the king, somebody who's been anointed as king very, very early age. But his kingdom is not fully established. It's not fully experienced. He's on a journey. He's been anointed as king, but it's before he's taken power. And he's spending a lot of time living in caves, living as a mercenary. He's a rebel. He's on the run. He's got some friends, and he hasn't got friends. And he is struggling big time with his identity and his calling. And in the midst of this, God says, I will prepare a table for you. And this really encouraged me to get this new perspective of this psalm. That in my life, when often I struggle with my calling and my identity, and God, did you really say that? Because I haven't experienced it yet. God says, yeah, at this time when you're still struggling and you haven't seen those things fulfilled, at this time, I'm going to provide for you and if you come to my table it's a place of provision unexpected provision in the midst of all your struggle it's a good place to be where you're going to be blessed so we've just looked really quickly at three different texts and they're all about God meeting with people in a meal at a table. We've looked at a historical incident, we've looked at a poem, and we've looked at a story that Jesus told. And just by using some tools, this has, has given me, anyway, a, a bit more of a meaningful encounter with the text and has helped me to kind of get another window on, on what it's like to follow Jesus and how God wants to relate to me. But I think for me, in doing this and just using some of these tools, it's, it's also given me a bigger appreciation that the Bible is a, a library of books, and yet it is one whole. It's got individual parts, and yet it holds together. 
because there's a common theme to each of these things from Genesis to Psalms and to the Gospel of Luke. We've got the table right the way throughout from the beginning to Jesus. And the tools allow my theology of what happens when we meet God at the table to develop. So in Abraham, Abraham, there's the table is a place of an unexpected promise, but there's a real distance at the table. The strangers are there. Abraham is here. In David, that story, that, that poem that he wrote, we see the table is a place of provision. And it is, David talks about you, but we don't know where God is in that picture. And then in Jesus, we see the table again. And we see that there's this intimacy, there's relationship. And here at the table, we see the unexpected person of Jesus. We thought we knew what Jesus was, who he was. And yet here, we're just seeing something else that's unexpected about the person of Jesus. And for me, common in each element was that, unex- that kind of sense of unexpected. The unexpected happens, but also joy. Something good comes out of meeting at the table. I remember Steve, when he was here last week, said, the best talks are those that don't make you laugh, but talks that make you question or challenge you to think again. So I'm going to leave you with this thought that we're going to meet at the table now. As I'm just going to leave you with a thought, just challenge you to perhaps rethink coming to the table. Could this be a place for you this morning of an unexpected promise, unexpected provision, that meeting Jesus, the unexpected person of Jesus, in a way that just renews your joy? You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.